Ben, Ben Avery here from the Comic Book Time Machine. Just to uh, quickly remind you that these following episodes were actually taken from a larger episode and cut up into more easily indexed, smaller portions. So there are going to be times when I talk about, you know, next in this episode or previously in this episode, because originally these were released as long episodes that covered a single month of the comics. A long time ago, on a spinner rack far, far away. The Comic Book Time Machine presents Marvel's Cosmic Comics, exploring Marvel's licensed sci-fi and fantasy during the Star Wars period. Episode 38, John Carter, Warlord of Mars, issue number 8, covered it January 1978, and Ben's Bullpen Bulletin. So as we stand here at the comic spinner rack or the magazine rack, you know, the bottom shelves where they have the comics there for the the kids to have easy access. And we're looking at the Marvel comics that aren't superhero and that, uh, well, I guess Human Fly technically is, but that aren't like the, the Marvel stable of characters. As we're looking at these licensed comics, sci-fi books, generally speaking, John Carter, Warlord of Mars, it's there. It's sitting there. It's waiting for us to pick it off the rack, spend the 35 cents in 1970s funds to, to purchase. And, and it's, it's reaching out to us with a cover that, that gives us some promises. And, and here's what it promises. It, it promises that uh, we're going to see John Carter. Uh, probably we're expecting that promises a giant snake like being that's shooting stuff out of its eyes promises sword play that's just from the, the image on the cover it also promises that this is the greatest martian epic of them all which you know that's that's the kind of thing that you could debate that it's debatable but uh, it's debatable because it could be true, could be false. There's probably a better one out there, but this is pretty good. It promises that the Marvel explosion begins here. And it says, as helium crumbles, John Carter must battle the beast with the touch of stone. Well, we'll get to that. Issue 8 is entitled, Flesh May Wither and Stone May Crumble. Air Pirates of Mars, Chapter 8. Written by Marv Wolfman, edited by Marv Wolfman. Illustrated by Gil Kane and Rudy Nebris. Uh, lettered by Irving Watanabe. And colored by Michelle Wolfman. And we are... <laughs> given an interesting splash page to open it up of John Carter and Deja Thoris uh, skiing down sand slopes. Okay, so our story opens 
with John Carter and, and Deja Thoris on a double date with uh, Cantus Khan and Licia sand skiing and they're kind of having a picnic, a campfire. Tars Tarkas is there. He's a fifth wheel, though. And he can't understand why John Carter has decided to play games. And uh, he can't understand Cantus Khan's distraction by Cantus uh, Khan's female companion, Licia. Licia, the female companion, is also distracted, though she's been given a premonition of death. There will be death in the future soon, and she wants Cantus Khan to stop being a warrior before her premonition comes true. John Carter joins the conversation, and he's a man of practicality. And, you know, he's a man who came to Mars from Earth via some sort of psychic bridge thing that keeps his body on Earth alive, even though it's not eating. It's just sleeping for years. Uh, and while his body is alive on Earth, he has another body that's the same, but different on Mars. And it's super powered and... He can't remember being anything but an adult man for longer than he is, his age would suggest. Uh, and he just got done fighting a mind-controlling dragon from beyond space that he killed a few weeks back. But of course, as he is listening to the conversation with Cantus Can and Licia, he doesn't believe in sorcery or magic. What kind of right-thinking person would? That's just crazy. And then he tells a story about a witch doctor in Africa who used chemicals to kill a man and make it look like magic as the man was burned alive when he threw a voodoo doll into the fire, which there's chemicals on the voodoo doll that caused the fire to spread quickly and burn the man alive. And of course, one example is enough to disprove a premonition. Right? So no one takes it seriously. Of course not. Even though her premonition consisted of a, a necklace that she dangled over the sand that moved by itself and drew a very detailed sketch of a skull's face. Um, you know, some people, uh, to quote David Crosby, wouldn't know a burning bush till it blew up in their face. And that will probably be the first and only and final time I quote David Crosby in this podcast or ever. Cut to he who sits upon the throne, who also could also be called he who throws a great big bad guy tantrum speech as he is really just screaming at a lackey to let that lackey know how much he has displeased him because the lackey allowed Star of Khan to be killed by John Carter. So he who sits upon the throne reaches out with a giant hand, takes the lackey's head into his hand and squeezes and crushes the lackey's head like it's some sort of orange or lemon or some sort of other soft handheld fruit. Maybe a, a bell pepper also little same, same idea, same firmness, you know, same amount of power, just not as, as juicy, I guess. 
So no, uh, not a not a bell pepper. Uh, definitely a citrus fruit. He's reached out, grabbed this uh, poor 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 Thark's head, and squeezed it like some sort of citrus fruit. Now let me explain what this guy looks like. Uh, you don't see him well on the the first page he appears on, but then when you get to the next page, you see him. He's huge. I mean, we, you already get the impression of how big he is because of how big his hand is. He's huge. He has four arms. His legs are green. One set of arms is kind of blue or white. Uh, one set of arms are gold. His head is red. Uh, basically, I mean, he he runs the Council of Five, uh, but he seems to be a mix of all the Martian races, in, including the the giant gorilla guys who are mindless, and the Tharks, and the red skinned uh, red skinned Barsoomians, and the the gold skinned ones. Um, it, it looks kind of goofy. It, it looks patchwork. It looks like it's been pieced together. It looks like it, it almost looks like you, you could have taken, you know, four different action figures and just kind of taken their pieces and mixed and matched them to create this guy. And, and so here's, here's the thing. I mean, we don't see him do much of anything. We know he's the big bad. Now we know he's the leader behind all this troubles that, that have been occurring. I just don't know. He'll have to be used very, very well. He'll have to be, he'll have to do some pretty awesome stuff here as we move forward for me to accept the, the visual of this guy. The, the visual just doesn't work for me, but I think if his evil plan or if the way he goes about whatever he's going to do to stop, you know, the good guys and to destroy civilization or whatever, if he does it in a way that I find creative and interesting and fun, I think I'll be okay with, with his look. If not, I'm just going to constantly be reminded, you know, as his plan goes forward, it's kind of, he looks stupid too. I, I, I'm not going to say that I think he looks stupid yet. I just have to see how well he's used to see how he's going to grow on me. But for the time being, there's some intriguing mystery here about who this guy is. How how is this guy even a thing? How does he exist? Uh, you know, that's not what it looks like when you have like genetics being passed on from from generation to generation. This is piecemeal. Uh, and so I, I, I am curious about where he comes from. And, and I think that's what the backstory is also going to be something that causes me to decide whether I'm going to accept this guy or not. So anyway, back in the city, um, the double date is over. John Carter and Deja Thoris have a quiet, intimate moment in their quarters, uh, while Contus Khan and and Lysia have a lovers a lovers quarrel. And while outside, dark hooded men are sneaking through the streets, uh, up to some sort of nefarious deeds. They attack. Contus Khan joins in them in battle. Lysia reminds him of the warning. We must remember that warning that is not just a, a little quirk of character this is a thematic thing i think john carter joins the fray and they win against these men in the dark hoods who are also the men who caused the city to turn against john carter they win but lysia knows that death is coming and indeed rock snakes then attack these are snakes that are kind of rising up out of the ground and you get the impression that these are not like 
burrowing through the ground, but they are made out of ground. The earth is rising in snake form. They grow out of the earth and they zap with their eyes and whatever they zap turns to stone. Now, I know the cover said, you know, something about, you know, the touch of whatever. Uh, there's no touch involved. It's just zapping with eyes, just lots of zapping. It's a cool fight, I have to say. You know, if it started off a little bit odd, off-putting with the whole, um, uh, you know, we're on a double date and skiing and, and you know, John Carter chastises himself uh, as this is happening, saying, why was I taking time to play when I knew that there were, you know, evil guys who were doing evil things? But um, the fight, when we finally get to it, it's a fun fight. It's a dynamic fight. Uh, the snakes are moving around. They're zapping their eyes. They're, the humans are dodging out of the way. They're trying to fight the stone with their steel. It's, it's muscle and steel and guns versus living stone. And whatever, you know, if, if they zap someone who's alive, they are they're turned to stone. Uh, the, the resolution, not as cool as the fight uh, early on, uh, the guy who was, we, who I thought was going to be a protagonist until he died, Star Khan, uh, he had buried a robot arm in the city. This is what the robot arm was buried there to do. It actually is what created the stone monsters and is kind of controlling them too. Uh, and John Carter realizes this. So he goes after it and he destroys that arm. And destroying that arm destroys them, and they they crumble into dust. And it's a, it's a pretty cool visual. I mean, the artwork in this issue, uh, you know, say what you want about again double date out in the the sand dunes, but uh, the the artwork is is fantastic the whole way through, especially this this final battle and and the the crumbling of the snakes and it's really cool. And Cantus Khan has survived. The tragic prophecy was avoided, or was it? You see, death did come. Lysia herself was turned to stone. Uh, okay, this is a nice, heartfelt story. Has an emotional twist. Has a cool battle. Has a villain who I am curious about. I might even say intrigued, but definitely curious. Uh the the issue itself great uh the arm this is what the arm does well that's a that's a disappointment because back when it was buried there and it was part of this grand plan it seemed like it should have been something more momentous it seemed like it should have been something that, that was causing more trouble than just you know three stone snakes that uh john carter is able to take out alone i would have liked to have seen something they actually had to really struggle with and you know maybe an explosion that takes down some of the city or or something I, I i don't know but this this felt like a little bit of anticlimax uh considering you know how much attention was given to this earlier on but uh the other thing that i really appreciated about this besides the art and and the the, the cool uh fight there is is the theme uh, of lucia and and Cantus Khan, and you know, I kind of poked fun at it a little bit of how what I call the Godzilla syndrome. Uh, the Godzilla syndrome comes from the Hanna Barbera Godzilla cartoon, where every episode they face a new monster, and every time 
they say, I can't believe it. That's just not possible. And first of all, you know, every week you see a new monster. At some point, you should probably accept that it is possible. And second of all, even the first time you see a monster, you would probably be, be more accepting of things considering they actually have like a remote control button that they can press that calls Godzilla to protect them. Uh, seeing a giant crab or some sort of strange caterpillar beast on the San Francisco Golden Gate Bridge. It's not impossible. It's not crazy. It's not weird. It's normal. It's normal life. And for John Carter to say, ah, sorcery and magic, I don't believe in it. Uh, it just doesn't really ring <laughs> true. Uh, but that gets us to the theme, though, where they there's two ways you could take this. And one is that they don't accept the supernatural and it turns out the supernatural exists and they have to deal with that. And the consequences of not taking seriously that the supernatural was trying to give them some form of warning. And if they had just heeded the warning that, well, Lysia would still be alive. The other way you can take it is that whole idea of uh, the Cassandra syndrome where they're just not taking her seriously. And they should. So on one hand, they should be taking the supernatural seriously. But, you know, I don't believe in sorcery or magic. Uh, on the other hand, they should be taking her seriously. Um, it's true. I mean, she unless she's really good at swinging that necklace to create pictures in the sand, there's something that was happening there. And they're just they just wave it off like, ah, whatever, because you know what? One time. Something was told to me that it said that it was supernatural. And guess what? It was a guy who was tricking people. Not supernatural at all. Therefore, since once it was not true, that means it's always not true. Right? I mean, it's, it's uh, that's not the exact logic that's being given. But they are definitely not giving her the attention that they should be. And they're not paying serious attention to what she's saying and this causes her to be well, turned to stone. And it's, I, I, it rings true. I mean, there's all sorts of things you could apply this to of people just not taking seriously a warning because they don't believe or because they don't want to deal with it. And I mean, this is, this is personal health. This is political situations. This is, um, religious ideas. I mean, these are all things that people just discard out of hand without, you know, stopping to say, well, you know what? There is this that makes me kind of doubt, but on the other hand, there are some other elements. And so it was, it was good in that regard. Now I'm going to take a moment to talk about, um, the Marvel fan magazine called Foom. Friends of old Marvel. Uh, Foom number 20 came out this month, and I don't have a date for the actual release, but this was something that came out through subscription. It was a fan uh, a fan magazine about Marvel, but it's a fan magazine about Marvel that was actually published by Marvel. Uh, Jim Stranko was involved in it in, in its inception. Um, Stan Lee, though, also had a... Uh, he had a forward in the first issue 
a subscription to this magazine costs $3 and also got you the club membership ID card and some stickers and a poster. And it really was Marvel trying to foster fandom. Uh, and, you know, it's basically like uh, having, you know, a blog and a website for a publisher. Um, and like when, uh, you know, Joe Q used to do Cup of Joe. And, and things like that for the Marvel website or for other um, fan websites. But this was um, uh, official Marvel material. Now, the interview that they had in this issue, first of all, on the cover, John Carter is actually featured on the cover. And it was uh, by, by George Perez, actually. And it's good. It's, it's, a, it's got that swashbuckling feel as John Carter and Deja Thoras are being menaced by a giant Thark. And I guess, are there any other kinds really? <laughs> but the interview inside has some stories about how Marv Wolfman got the job and it's things that he actually talked about in my interview with him in a, a previous episode of Comic Book Time Machine. But there was some interesting stuff that was, was kind of new. And that was that I didn't realize that he had written, I, I knew that he had written for the Edgar Rice Burroughs uh, estate that they were trying to do their own comic. He actually took his script and turned that around and made that be the uh, tryout script for for the artist that would work on on the book. It's an interesting interview. Um, he's you know he talks about the limitations of working with a character that uh, that was established and that he couldn't <laughs> kill off. And there's a lot of artwork that was was featured in in this issue, and they actually even had the, a page of the manuscript from um that, that he had written there was an outline of things it's it's interesting it's good and the artwork is fantastic to look at in black and white and some of the layouts and it's really uh, really neat uh the, uh the whole idea of foom is a neat idea and something that uh i wish i would have done back then uh not, not obviously not in 1977 because i would have been three or yeah, three. Uh, but if I had had a chance to do that in the 80s, I think I would have really enjoyed something like that and get to, you know, see things from the artists and, and the writers and stuff like that. So um, I, I have to say, well, I'll go ahead and, and, and get into the bullpen bulletin and then then I'll give my, my final verdict on whether or not this was a worthwhile trip to go back in time to this month to pick up these comics. So the bullpen bulletin here, uh, this is when I go through and look at the ads in the book and <laughs> there's some doozies. Now there are some uh, flea market pages uh, where you just have lots and lots of different things, different novelties, life-size ghost, um, which is what Tim Barron, this, this ad here for the life-size ghost you control. It's a seven-foot life-size ghost that you can control. And my friend Tim Barron, who did the book... Uh, uh, Mamator and the Conquerors of the Cosmos with me and Frankenstein and the Conquerors of the Cosmos. He has, uh, that's what he calls his, his publishing, his self-publishing arm is a uh, life-size monster ghost. So he got that from there. Uh, then there's super sea monkeys who they, this is interesting because they show like the cartoon sea monkeys, but then they show the actual, like what the, the things look like right there. There's a, there's a picture that, uh, just that kind of, I don't know what they are. 
Um, I've listened to a podcast actually to explain them, but uh, it's kind of cool. There's the um, Simon and Schuster presents the complete marvelous collection. It's all the books that they created um, or uh, origins, uh, son of origins, um, bring on the bad guys, superhero women of uh, all the graphic novels that were coming out before they were called graphic novels, really. And turn through here. We're not at the weird one yet. There's another flea market page. You can sell grit. There's a werewolf that um, <laughs> advertising Slim Jim where it says, satisfy your meat tooth. Um, yeah, interesting. Uh, there's posters of Farrah Fawcett, John Travolta, Jamie Summers, and Steve Austin, which, uh, as some of you know, I'm, I'm a $6 million man fan, casual fan, but fan enough to buy the DVDs and watch them with my kids and make my kids relive the seventies with me. Uh, there's the letters page. The only one I have here is from the human fly and, uh, they allow some criticism there. I'm I'm just not I'm not impressed by people on the letters page there because it tends to be it tends to be the positive stuff but um can sell candy bars uh, more more field uh field flea market pages turn any wall into a giant screen TV no electronic experience needed uh extraordinary new invention a scientific marvel that turns any TV into a powerful project projector very, very curious what that ends up being there. There's a giant magic ghost, not to be confused with a life-size ghost. Uh, oh, this is what I talked about with Professor Allen's. Um, <laughs> Professor Allen, you mentioned the Dingling family, but I can't believe you men didn't mention what I'm about to in, in a few moments here. But Thor in the Dingling family. This is Thor battling the Dingling family uh, and then using hostess fruit pies to get them to stop because they're such Dinglings. Uh, oh, this is bad. This is bad. Basically, these are uh, hillbilly space pirates who attack Thor in his spacefaring Viking ship as they jump out of their spacefaring trailer. Oh, it's bad. It's really, really bad. Uh... For some reason, they, his hammer doesn't work on them because um, I, don't even, I don't even know. I don't even know. I don't even know. I, I don't want to know. <laughs> Hostess fruit pie ads are usually dumb for all the right reasons and fun for all the wrong reasons. And this is not fun. It's just dumb. Then there's... <laughs> the back page, which has really creepy looking doll. Now, Nirisk or Nirisk Industries has created this doll. It's pa uh, talking Patty prayer doll. Uh, kneels and says her bedtime prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. You know that one. It says, Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray thee, Lord, my soul to keep. Guide me safely through the night. Walk, wake with, make, wake me in the morning light. God bless mommy and daddy and make me a good girl. Amen. This thing looks creepy, though. I mean, she's got her eyes closed, her hands folded, and you can comb her hair and then have prayer, I guess. $10. 20 inches tall. 
soft, cuddly, and lifelike, maybe too lifelike, uncanny valley type of thing we're talking here. This, oh. <laughs> open the zipper on her back to turn the record over, and she sings, Brother John. <sighs> yeah, I I don't even know what to say there. Uh, this is the ad that, 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 that took the cake for me in <laughs> this month. And I just can't help thinking, do they really think that the comic book buying and reading audience in 1978 are the same people who are going to see an ad for a talking Patty prayer doll and think, you know what? I want one of those. I, I mean, there are going to be some girls who are reading comics, but girls who are young enough to see that and want it. I, I, <laughs> They're either not reading comics or if they are, they're not going to be interested in this thing. You know, they're going to be, I don't even know what to think about this. It is really weird. And it's kneeling. It's got a nightgown on. Uh, it just seems really out of place. And the sculpting of the face just seems really creepy. So anyway, I'm going to go ahead and turn around here and get out next month. I don't normally do this, but I'm going to go ahead. Uh, this is a little thicker here. Uh, let's see. We do have a, a... Oh. Okay, I can see why I put that in there. And, well, I've got some actually pretty heavy reading ahead of me. Uh, I've got Star Wars number 8 coming up. John Carter, Warlord of Mars number 9. Godzilla number 7. And I have... Uh, Marvel Classic Comics, and the reason I included this one and I haven't included other ones before is that this one is uh, First Men in the Moon. So a uh, nice retro sci-fi tale. And then there's also a number one issue. TV tie-in. And I'm very excited about this. I still have to decide if I'm going to actually watch what this is a tie-in to because it's a little expensive to get the DVD. But uh, it's a one dollar comic, one hefty dollar. The other comics are seven or thirty five cents each. First Men in the Moon, fifty two pages for sixty cents. But this giant size bonus issue, all new from the sensational NBC Television Super Series, issue number one, Man from Atlantis, and I am very excited to get into this. I do not know much about that at all. I am. I have held off looking at this. I didn't even realize this was the next one coming up. So this is kind of fun. This is the fun of this is I've packed these in such a way that when I pull out the next one, a lot of this is going to be a surprise, especially when there's something new. And so, yeah, no wonder this was so hefty when I pulled it out. We've got the 52 page, no ads, first men in the moon. And then this $1 issue, there are ads. There are definitely ads and there are articles and pinups and the cover says two novel length Mark Harris adventures. I guess Mark Harris is the man from Atlantis plus behind the scenes, articles, photos and pinups. And I can't wait to talk about this. I do want to thank you for listening again. Um, also remind you, you can go to comicbooktimemachine.com where you can find out how to contact us. You can also go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash comicbooktimemachine and uh, on Twitter, we're comic time. And until next time, like I said, thanks for listening and Godspeed.
Thanks for listening to the Comic Book Time Machine's Marvel's Cosmic Comics feed. You can find more discussion of many, many more comics like Superman and Spider-Man, What Ifs and Elseworlds, The Six Million Dollar Man and Batman, comics seven days old and seven decades old, on our main feed, which you can find on iTunes or at comicbooktimemachine.com. We'd also love it if you join us on Facebook at facebook.com or on Twitter, where we are at Comic Time. Next episode, cover date February 1978, Star Wars number 8.